We have Afo Kuti, who's a BAFTA-winning producer of Home. He's on the end. Helen Walsh, writer, director, and 2016 BAFTA Breakthrough Brit. She's the writer and director of The, the Violators. And then right next to me, uh, Michael Berliner, BAFTA-nominated producer and 2016 BAFTA Breakthrough Brit. Um, he, uh, best known for emotional fuse box and adult life skills. So the aim of this session is to talk about your first three years in, in the film industry. Um, I've got some questions. I'll run through them, and then it'll be your, over to you to ask uh, your questions. So please, when we get to that point, do wait for the mic to come to you. Uh, come to you. So I'm just going to start off, and I'm going to ask everyone to give us a very brief overview of what their first three years in the industry was like. I'm going to go to Afro first. Oh, uh, if you can just give us a, a quick rundown. <coughs> what did you do? Um, so I started the industry in 2007. Um, before that, I was a project manager working in the property industry, um, so I converted to film. Um, and um, the first thing I did was working for Sundance Film Festival. I volunteered for them. Uh, then I went to uh, London Film Festival. Um, whilst I was at Sundance, I met someone called Samantha Hawley, who gave me my first paying job in the film industry, um, working at SALT. Uh, and then I also did a production training program through Skillset, wonderful Skillset, um, uh, where I was working for Number Nine Films, which is Stephen Woolley and Liz Carlson. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my first three years. Cool. And would you say, were there any things that you've taken over from the property industry into film that you kind of learned? Spreadsheets, <laughs> actually. <laughs> People were amazed yeah. I could do spreadsheets. No one could do in the film industry. And they're like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, yeah, spreadsheets. Structured progression route than, yeah. than, than film. Yeah, a little bit so more. Probably more, <laughs> okay, more support for actually learning learning skills that are transferable. And presumably working in uh, festivals as well was also quite a useful uh, grounding. Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of if you enjoy film, then that's a wonderful place to be, just watching new films and you get very excited seeing all the filmmakers there and uh, festival fever. Useful for networking, but just it's that whole thing of actually meeting filmmakers and seeing how they've been able to make their film, and it's a very emotional sort of space for people when they're presenting their film for the first time to the world. It's wonderful. Oh. Um, so I recommend work festivals for sure. So Helen, what was your first three years like? Um, okay, so I, I started in about 2004, but it took me 10 years before um, I wrote my first screenplay. So I came, bit of a transition. Um, I started off as a novelist and partly because I was so impatient and actually in the northwest of England and just found the, the industry pretty impenetrable. Um, back then, I certainly saw the film industry um, eccentric, had a stab of trying to cut my teeth down here and went back with my tail between my legs. Um, and yeah, I just found it much easier. You know, you have an idea for a novel, you go away for a year, 18 months, you're on your own, you work under your own steam. You finish, you hand it to an agent, and if you're lucky, you get published. And it's so much more messier and complex and difficult with, with films. So at the time, I had stories that I really wanted to tell and were very contemporary stories. And I knew that if I waited two or three years, I wouldn't want to tell them um, or they'd no longer have relevance. So I spent my first 10 years as a novelist. Um, and the transition to film was actually pretty seamless. I mean, I, I tend to write all my novels. They've all been optioned at some point because I tend to write in scenes. I tend to write pretty cinematically. Um, I, again, had a go um, applying to um, the institutions and, the, and the, the gatekeepers and the powers that be and, <laughs> and didn't get very far. So it was a, it was a real scaling back of ambition. And um, I opted for um, a local production company in the Northwest. Um, and we worked under um, an SEIS ways. And oh, an SEIS ways? C yes, yeah. the Enterprise Investment yeah, Scheme. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a, a low budget way of making a film that's, that's uh, palatable to investors. Yeah. Okay. So um, the, the original budget, which I thought was quite modest for the violators, was 1.2 million, and it was scaled back to 125,000 <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and films not in Europe, but in um, Birkenhead, um, which Morrissey describes as the bowels of the north. But um, yeah, it, ha it, has, it has something about it. And yeah, that was three years ago that I started upon that venture. And well, I've seen the film. It's great. But I didn't know it was that budget. I mean, that's just crazy. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you haven't had any formal training at all in terms of the actual film world, though, right? No. Nope. So where did you learn? Did you learn through 
purely by doing? I, yeah, I learned on the first, first two days. I mean, I played a couple of shorts when I was at uni, which are absolutely terrible. You know, look, looking back now, I'm so glad that um, I was after the age of kind of sharing on, on social media. There's no history, there's no, it's not out there. <laughs> um, and I have all my old, old computers, which I keep in my okay, yeah, second I, I'm, I'm going to take these to the tips, please, please. Acid. No, That's the only way. Acid. Okay, yeah, it's on, it's on there, on there somewhere. Um, but no, I mean, I started. What happened was I started applying for um, a short. I'd been to Creative England. Um, I'd been down and met with them, and then I saw this girl, um, Laura McQueen, who plays the protagonist in, in The Violators, and she was. 15 um, when I met her. We didn't start filming until she was 16. But she was on the cusp of, of changing from going from being a girl to a woman, and I wanted to film there and then. So, you know, it was a, it was a huge risk. But I think because it was a modest bu budget, the stakes were low for, for everyone involved. And it paid off, actually, because um, we shot in 2015, I think. And um, at the end of shoot, she went away for, for a month and we came back for her to do some, some pickups and she changed. And it's really, really obvious and visible. She'd got a boyfriend and there was just a maturity and a kind of self-awareness and self-knowledge that, that wasn't there. Um, so that was really what determined filming at that particular time with no formal training whatsoever. Right. And so is it fair to say uh, that you're motivated by telling stories? Yeah. yeah. So uh, why was it important to you to then direct as well? That, do you see that was all as part of the same process? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see novel writing and filmmaking as discrete, autonomous entities. I see them both differently, um, but as sharing the same heart. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think this was a story, for me, The Violators, that could only ever be told visually. I had almost a few goes at writing it in, in novel form, in novella form but it was just screaming out to me. It's very much a film about, as much about landscape um, as it is about these two girls. So I, I, I really wanted this landscape to be seen and felt um, rather than just interpreted. Okay. So Michael, your first three, three years, give us a... <coughs> yeah, so, uh, so I left uni in 2007 and I did a, a non-creative industries degree. I did psychology and philosophy and uh, became a runner. Uh, and I, uh, I, I, wanted, I wanted to be a director back then, so I'm a producer, but I wanted to be a director. And yeah, I, I directed a musical and, and a couple of short films, some really bad, pretentious ones at university. Um, and I, uh, I started working for this third assistant director called Chris Croucher, um, who's a producer now, a TV producer. And uh, I said to him, I, I, uh, I'm not a fantastic writer, have you got any scripts? Because he wanted to be a writer at the time uh, that I could direct. And he said, no, I've got the script that I want to direct, but would you produce it? And because he was this cool, charismatic guy, he was a few years ahead of me in the industry, and he was, he was doing well as an AD, I just jumped excitedly at it, knowing pretty much nothing about how to produce something. Uh, so that was a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, but anyway, from there, the first three years were making a lot of short films. I mean, I think I made uh, eight, ugh, eight or nine short films in that, in that time. And, uh, and I got a, uh, a day job. I worked at an arts agency called B3 Media that supports uh, BME filmmakers and, and artists. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was the first three years. It was sort of paying the bills in a related creative job uh, whilst making short after short and, and learning, learning how to do it as, as, I think of it as like a big fish in a small pond rather than a small fish in a big pond working on big shows and big films. On the first project, uh, because because I didn't know, really know how to produce something. It was like the guerrilla filmmaker's handbook, um, and it was, it was Googling things. But a lot of the help came from Chris. Because he was an assistant director, he knew so much about how this stuff worked, about issuing a, you know, a casting advice note to the agent, uh, and about how to do a unit for the film, as in you know, the parking and where to eat mm. and all of that stuff, and a call sheet. Some really, really quite basic stuff. But I just love um, that he asked you to produce something, and then you're like, oh, so what do I do? Just <laughs> <laughs> tell me. Yeah, ba ba basically, I, I remember I really worried him when I, I went, we, we won, we got two, one, uh, we were awarded £2,000 from one of the um, borough film funds to, to, to make the film from, it was called Southern Exposure at the time, I lived in Lambeth and it was a, a publicly funded thing, and I remember we sat down for a little, because he couldn't come, for a little interview test, 
And I was, I was just terrible. And I remember the look on his face. He was trying to look supportive that he thought, oh, we're not going to get this. <laughs> and yeah, we got, we got the £2,000. And then I managed to get, because we were, um, it, was, it was called the Beachcombers. Uh, it's free online if you want to look it up. It's very sweet. Uh, and we managed to get sponsorship. God knows why they did this. From a metal detector company, 50 quid artists, these two really expensive metal detectors that we managed to sell for 750 quid afterwards. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, we wanted a £3,000 budget, so we were like 250 short. And I was, it, I know this sounds a bit peculiar, I was to, uh, introduced uh, to this rich businessman uh, who, who had invested in Bollywood film before. And uh, I, he said, um, oh, come tell me about your film in his suite at the Dorchester. Uh, and right. I know, this is real. And he, he asked me, he wasn't really interested in the content of the film, really. And uh, well, what's he, interesting? Well, <laughs> he, 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 sorry, I'm not going off on the tangent here. Uh, he, he said, How much are you short? And I said, 250 pounds. And he just got out a wad of 50s, and <laughs> that was sorted. So then we had 3,000 pounds to make the film. Right, I'm not going to sell 50. Yeah. Yeah, he then, put, he then put money into another of my shorts later. Okay, okay. Yeah. left it on the pillow. Sorry, sorry. So can you tell us a bit about how did you meet Chris and what, were kind of, what was it that made you sort of spark with him? What uh, kind of, can you, uh, well, I, what I'm, the characteristics of that relationship? So I met him on my very, very first thing that I did in film, uh, which was I was a runner on an NFTS, NFTS National Film and Television School graduation film. I was the runner. He was the boyfriend of the lead actress, and he was just a really nice guy um, mm. that took me under his wing a bit, and he invited me to do a few days with him um, on a TV series, and he, he, he kept employing me for little bits. I was still at university at the time, so it was just in holidays and things. I'd do a few days from here and there rather than being on a full show. Um, and, yeah, he's just a, a very supportive, uh, good guy. And uh, funnily enough, we, we dovetailed in many ways because he took off in TV, and I really got stuck into my shorts and then making the feature, and it was almost like we're coming uh, together now because I'm now looking into TV as well. And Anyway. Afo, were there any figures like that in your uh, early days that kind of helped like, yeah, I mean, support and guidance? I kind of had quite a few, actually. Um, I think, look, obviously, Samantha Hawley was very important in terms of giving my first actual paid job. Very difficult working for her, but I was appreciative of actually getting that. And then when I was at the... I, I too, wanted to be a director. Everyone wants to be a director. Um, and so I was at the NFTS on this thing called Compass Point, which doesn't go on anymore, but it was like for writer-directors. And we were given a mentor, and my mentor was Tony Grissoni. Um, so I, I still see him yeah. now, and he still gives me advice. We were talking about this earlier, how that there's no one route in this industry at all. If anyone tells you there is, they're just lying. <laughs> there was their route, and then everybody else's is just different. It's just, it's, uh, I think it's good to keep as many mentors as possible. Yeah. Um, because you'll hear different things from everyone about you know, how to work something. And um, of meet them and how do you kind of like get them hooked into your story? I, I think you just, you just go and ask them. I mean, I've, I've got a new mentor for TV now, Pat Young. He used to be um, chief creative um, officer for BBC. Um, and um, he set up Sugar Films with uh, uh, four other um, producers. And I was like, look, I don't know anything about TV. I'm trying to get into it. First, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't hear from him for a long time. Then I kept on emailing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that he just, inbox just got too much. He was like, just come and see me. Mm -hmm. um, and um, <laughs> yeah, that's the way it kind of worked out. And Helen, what about you? Who were the kind of those figures for you? No, I, I think um, you two are based in London. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. It's it's easier and it's it's also more more difficult I think living in the in in the north living up north in the northwest, um, but it's easier in the sense that there are less fish in the in the pond. So um, for me, you know, having a script, there are you know two or three film producers, only two or three three film, a lot of TV producers, but only two or three film producers in you know my area. So it's quite easy to get a a meeting. You know, you ring up. Um, you ring up London producers, I've got a script, you know, you're to the back of the queue, you might not ever hear from them again, you know, in the northwest you ring up, come, come now, come now, we'll pay your bus fare. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, and I think, you know, for me, it was also, it was, it was really important to, um, because the film is, is so much about region and, and landscape and a particular area, to um, engage with producers 
and all my crew actually sourced from, from the area as well, who had a real understanding of, of the area and the kind of sensitivities of the area. I guess a shared passion for getting the story out. Oh my gosh, for that rate, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So uh, one of the um, well, one of the key uh, personality traits that I think <laughs> is coming through is certainly persistence and resourcefulness. What are the kind of other things that you think uh, you, you need to keep 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 on going? I know you have some views on this, Helen. You go. Ahead. Yeah, I I, I, I mean, I think starting off as a 19, 20 year old when I first came after university, when I first came down to to London. I was really scared. I had this idea of what um, a director or a filmmaker should be, um, and this kind of uber confident, aggressive um, leader. All the things that I'm not. And you know, I think Tim asked me before. You know, do you think there's any kind of traits or, or traits that, that directors have? Um, and I think it's interesting what you said. That we're all quite. I think we're all bloody insecure and defensive and very protective of our. You know, not directors, everybody, everybody in the film yeah. industry. Yeah. We're just not suited to this, uh, <laughs> the thing they tell us we want to do. But I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of grew up with um, a sense that the qualities that you needed to direct were essentially masculine attributes. Um, Andrea Arnold um, optioned the right for my first, my debut novel, Brash. She had it for a while. And it was after meeting Andrea Arnold that everything change it was like wow you know you can actually be that sort of person and make that that sort of film there isn't just you know this kind of idea of a of a guy um standing on his kind of pulpit with a microphone yeah. shouting um and you know i think i'm not that type of person and i think for me it was a kind of reimagining of of the word leader you know we're told that directors need to be to be leaders but there's different ways to 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 lead um and certainly, you know, if you're not that, you know, if you're not that uber confident, aggressive type of person, there, there are different ways of, and different films require yeah. different ways of, of directing. You know, I was dealing with a young girl and it was really, um, who was an unknown actress, you know, she'd never been on a film set before, she'd never acted. And um, it was, you know, pretty hardcore sexual content. You know, it was a, her first actual on-screen kiss was with, her first real kiss was with a guy that was 44 oh. years old. Um, it was pretty, pretty raw stuff. And I think there is something that I was able to, to bring to that film that maybe that kind of uber-confident, aggressive male who doesn't actually probably <laughs> exist. It's just, you know, it's just in my head. It's just a really dated perception, possibly, you know, couldn't have. Okay. Um, so one of the things from sort of my perspective is in one movie that kind of I feel like you must have within the film industry is quite a lot of self-belief and the fact that you kind of have the potential. But I it's interesting so to see. Much doubt. So much doubt <laughs> every day. But like, you know, I think that when other people tell you, oh, this is good, whatever your work you've done, etc., that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to find people who are encouraging of you. Um, and the people who are kind of discouraging of you don't listen to them so much. <laughs> but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help you. It really doesn't. It's kind of like you need to, you need to find people who champion you, whether or not that's friends, that family, or, or colleagues, you know. Um, Couldn't that take some degree of, sort of confidence and self-belief, wouldn't you say? What, finding people who... No, just to, to not, not listen to the negative and to... Focus on... <laughs> um, no, I, no, I hear what you're saying, and it's kind of... Um, because a lot of these things can take time, um, but if you are really in love with what you're doing, then yeah. there's, no, there's no voice that can tell you otherwise, because you just enjoy it that much. It's just kind of like, it's very difficult not to listen to that. Even after someone has told you something really damaging about it, and you'll put it away, you'll go back to it and be like, but if I can yeah. do this and do that, and that's the thing. So do you think it's more sort of belief in what you're doing rather than yourself necessarily? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like, think so. It almost grabs you. I think like yeah. film grabs you in a weird yeah. way. You know, and it's kind of like very difficult to get out of its tentacles, really. Well, some, something that my director uh, of, of my film, Adult Life Skills, Rachel, says is uh, uh, make lots of tea. Nobody fires the person who makes the tea. <laughs> and I think that the serious point in that is um, uh, I think positivity and, uh, and a can-do attitude is infectious. And while there are a lot of people trying to make it in the film industry, uh, it's only a small minority of those that... Um, 
are really driven and caring and, and passionate and, and persistent about getting there. I mean, I was saying to you before this session that I think that making it in the industry, there's some exceptions, but I think it's sort of a mixture of uh, a talent, which is something that you can hone with time, uh, persistence and luck. And I think you can make your own luck. Say there's you know, a 1% chance of you having some breakthrough and meeting the right person, you know, try 100 times, then you're probably going to get there. And just again, just living on the talent thing, there's other people, if you find someone with talent, you know, you can partner with them and help move their career forward and hope that you work together, you know, in terms of, say, if you're a producer, you find a really talent director or writer and you work together with them, you know, because it's... Well, that's segueing very neatly into my, well, I was going to, I was going to move on to the, so obviously those relationships with people who kind of more tried and tested and have more established careers are really important, but also your collaborators, presumably, are really uh, also important. So how, what have you done to, to find collaborators? And, and, and to instigate those kind of relationships. So for me, it's kind of interesting because I worked on the business side of film as well for a long time, and I speak to a lot of people who work in you know, acquisitions and sales, uh, constantly talking towards them about you know, what's going on in the market and getting advice from them on that side of things. And then the director-writer I worked with on Home, I first met him at Sundance, which is my first gig, so back in, ooh, like, went down for that. Very dramatic uh, moment. But yeah, we met on the flight going to Sundance Film Festival. And then um, we'd been friends like all the way through that and then worked together 10 years later. And then I won a BAFTA from working with him. It was very, you know, uh, unusual thing. And he's like, he is an uber talent. That's his like fourth BAFTA. Um, and it's kind of like, he's amazing. But um, I was lucky and privileged to work with him, really. And do you work with, try, try to work with the same team or do you mix it up? What's your what's kind of it's, it's, I like to vary things a little bit. Um, uh, if you're looking for a director or writer, I mean, like, I'm working with a poet, spoken with a poet at the moment, um, and um, she did this uh, poem called Embarrassed about breastfeeding, and I'm not breastfeeding anyone, I'm not having children anytime soon, and I just found it so emotive, and I connected to it straight away, and from that, I was like, I've got to work with this person. Um, so again, it's just finding someone who's very talented. Um, uh, and I keep like lists of different people that I want to work with, even like composers or whatever. I just like that music. And again, I reached out to them like, I I've got nothing right now, but I just want to say you're talented. I want to meet with you. And maybe at some point in the future, we'll work together. You know. And Helen, have you got any tips for um, collaborators? How do you go about it? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's um, slightly, I think I, in terms of keeping lists, I've got a full A4 pad of all the DOPs I want to work with. And yeah, I, I mean, my, produ my producers were fairly young, as in young in the industry. Um, and we've been on the journey together. They're now um, producing my second feature. And they were nominated last year for um, Biffa Producers of the Year. So I think, you know, it's, I think there's always that temptation. And certainly, you know, if you have an agent, your agent will always push you for the, for the biggest producer um, who can bring, you know, the biggest fish to the table. And I think, you know, sometimes it's, it's better to, I don't know, to, it, it, to start on a kind of even keeling. You take your, you know, you take your talent with you. You know, my DOP, my focus puller, uh, my first AD, they all stepped up for the role for the very first time on, on film, um, which is a really great thing to have because there's a real raw energy. You're all in it together and everyone wants to cut their teeth. I was to say, it's good, you know, if you do collaborate with someone and then they go off and do something with somebody else and you go off with somebody, you learn from other people. Absolutely, yeah. So it's That's kind of so like, true. it's very good for you to go off and work with different people and yeah. come back and be like, this is what I've learned now, man. Honestly, I can do this. And I don't and, want to work with you anymore. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to have that break with people and learn different yeah. things and you bring different skills back and that's wonderful. But I, I will also say that, you know, I've, I've met over the last two years lots and lots of, of directors who um, are also producers, um, if only kind of nominally. And um, I think if, you know, that there are different types of directors. And I think if you're not that way inclined, where you don't like networking and you don't want to go out and you don't want to, you have to find producers and an agent who will do that, that for you. Because I, I don't like doing, doing all that, you know, that stuff. I will quite happily stay in my little cellar and just, until someone <laughs> pulls me out. Yeah, but you need, you, you know, you then can't have, Producers who are also kind of want to be the seller with you. Yeah, <laughs> 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 or a different seller. <laughs> Michael briefly. Well, just to say, I, re I really agree uh, on that point about the sort of 
achievement or ability level of, of the person and finding someone that you can connect with quite naturally. I mean, uh, on, on one of my projects, we were uh, seeking an exec producer to, to work with us. Um, and, and the key thing for us was just finding someone of the right level. I, I didn't want, uh, I didn't want, because it was my first feature, we thought it would be useful to have someone. Didn't want someone who was just a little more experienced than me, because it would almost seem like a, a rival who might want to take over, and, and also, are they really going to benefit us? On the flip side, if you get you know an absolute luminary in the industry, yeah. even if they did agree to do it, you're not really going to get any time from them. And I, I think you need to find someone that has the right balance level between uh, experience and passion. Um, and you know, I, I've had um, uh, there's a DP I've worked with on a couple of my short films yeah. who who's a top guy. Uh, he's worked on big things. Most of the time, he works in commercials, and he's immensely talented. But he is really bad at working on a low budget because he just doesn't understand. He's like, what? That much money for the lights? Um, and he can pull deals, but at the same time, he hasn't, he just doesn't have his mind in, uh, he's not in the mindset of, right, what do I really need for this ahead of the day? You know, he, he just wants to bring everything with him. And um, anyway, finding your collaborators. I mean, uh, for, for me, it's been quite organic. I've never deliberately gone out of my way to find we're talking about writer-directors to find people to work with. It's, it's always been through a sort of natural network that's grown with time. Uh, I mean, I, I'd say the most important thing is not only, of course, liking the work of the person that you're going to work with, but also liking the person, because especially near the start of your career, or working in shorts and on very low budgets, uh, if, uh, if you're not being paid much or, or anything on a short film, uh, and there's so many demands on the budget that's starting to frustrate people. At the very, very least, you've got to get on with each other, mm. or it's going to completely, completely fall to pieces. And when you scale up to a feature film, it's even more important because you're going to be stuck with this person instead of, uh, you know, a few days. You're stuck with them for weeks on set, but really for at least a couple of years through the entire mm. process. Um, yeah, so like liking people, um, and I think just keeping your ear to the ground for opportunities. I mean, for example. Uh, Making Emotional Fuse Box the short, and then Adult Life Skills the feature. Writer director of, of that, Rachel Tunnard, she was an editor, and that is how I knew her. She'd edited one of my short films. And she just posted on Facebook, I'm looking for a producer based in the East of England region to apply for some development funding. And I, I, do, I do live in London, but my company is based in the East of England. And, uh, and I got in touch with her, and basically, if I hadn't seen that Facebook post, then you know, it probably wouldn't have happened, or at least with me. Cool. And just finally for me, I just wanted to talk about the financial side of things and how you actually uh, make it work. So, Afro, how what, what is all kind of... <laughs> um, no, I, I was talking about this earlier, that I've kind of like switched what I'm doing. So I'm, I've got projects in development on the feature side, and now I'm looking at doing more branded content projects, um, but led by filmmakers, so not getting you know, product placement and all that sort of stuff. It's like, we'll make the story we want to make as a short-form uh, narrative topic and then find the right brands to pay for that. Um, and like, although Home wasn't officially that, it could be seen as that because of, you know, it was financed by UN, uh, USAID, Soros, et cetera, who paid for part of the film. Um, so I'm looking at using that model more and um, uh, working things that way. Um, but yeah, I didn't um, come through like the production natural route. Um, uh, whilst I was working on the business side, I think before going freelance, you know, I had a salary then. Um, working in sales as an acquisitions manager. Um, I don't know if everybody in here wants to be a producer, writer, or director, but there's a lot of other careers within the film industry, and it's all obviously changing quite rapidly at the moment. Um, it's a movable feast. Um, but again, there's just not one, you know. Would you advise people if they did want to get into directing to be working on crew and kind of different, just being on set in different forms? Again, it depends on what they're really drawn to. If they're a director who writes themselves, then that's going to change things again. If they have to just direct anything they want to like go music videos route or doing commercials and um, or if they want to go theater route and start doing you know plays and then moving into you know it's kind of like there's just there's not one way at all. I think if you just find what you enjoy doing and you know what that goal is somewhere there at the end of the marathon, then you just keep on guiding yourself towards that that's probably the best way to look at it um, and you know that's there's not a I wish I'd give a simple answer of, oh, this is how you do it, everybody. Um, but I don't have that answer. Um, and, uh, and Helen, as somebody who uh, must have to be very self-motivated in your little cellar on your own, uh, like, what, are there any things, that, tricks that you employ to make sure that you are carving out, making sure you have time for 
uh, you know, driving your stories and creating that sort of creative side, and you're not just set, sucked into the kind of, the, you know, making money side of things. The, the letter from the bank saying your mortgage out is over <laughs> you. That's a great motivator. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think, it is really difficult. I think that's when you get past a certain age, the kind of romance of, um, I don't know, all the different jobs that you all do to kind of support your art. It becomes more and more difficult. And for me, it's, you know, I, I've been really lucky in that my novels have always been my um, bread and butter, and I've been able to keep the wolves from the door with my novels. But it's, I, I'm in a weird space at the moment where um, I haven't got headspace to, to write a novel. But I'm, you know, I'm hoping to shoot at the end of this year. I'm working on my second feature. And it's that kind of weird, weird period. And it's like, well, what, what do I do you know, in, in this kind of interim period? Um, it must be really hard to yeah, be it is, kind of it is. And, you know, carve out that creative space. And especially when there's temptation, you know, when mm. there's, you know, your agent's getting in touch going, but well, you've just turned down this, you've just turned down this. And you're thinking, it's, it's going it's to dilute my brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that something that, you, that worries you about creating a kind of brand and creating a kind of um, trademark? Well, I, you know, know, I think it's more style. to do with there's certain things that I just, I couldn't do. I wouldn't know how to um, go on you know, go on set with someone else's scripts and someone else's rules and, and film and, um, you know, to the very quick pace of TV, for, for example. Mm -hmm. um, Is that something that you're aware of, that sort of auteur model of director that you're kind of trying to preserve, or are you open yeah, to definitely. everything? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. Michael, what about you? How do you make it work financially? Um, uh, so, to date, there has always been some other way of paying the bills. Sadly, I'm not a mega-minted film producer as yet. Um, so yeah, like I said, I used to work at an arts agency, and for the last uh, four years, I've been part-time at the Guardian newspaper. Um, and I, I think there, there, are, there are different ways of, of making money in the industry. There are a lot of people uh, you know, in commercials or, or freelancing on uh, film, other people's film and, and TV projects. Um, and I think that's fine, but you, you just have to be careful that if you do have this ambition and passion about getting certain projects off the ground and you get too subsumed in a really intense full-time day job, um, it's, it's just probably not going to happen. Now, there can be positive consequences of that. Chris Croucher, the guy I mentioned, one of my earliest collaborators, that happened to him. You know, he just got sucked into the day job. And actually, it's worked out very, very well for him, because in the end, he produced the last two series of Downton Abbey. Uh, and he's, he's producing a series for Netflix now. So you know, it worked out very yeah. well. I'm certainly not saying it's, it's the wrong route to go down. But uh, for me, and maybe for some of you, um, just make sure that the way you earn money doesn't knock you off the course of your goal. Yeah. You know, keep, keep that goal in mind and think about w what can you do to keep yourself focused on it. And what about the kind of issue of freelancing? Is there any, any, anything that you've kind of learned that you kind of wish you'd known when you started about kind of how all that all works? That seems like a very mysterious area where there's not a lot of help and guidance. Um, I think, well, for me again, I, um, I wanted to get on through the production route, but I can't drive and I have a license. Um, uh, so I couldn't, I didn't really get on set and actually, because I started relatively late, I remember trying to call one of these diary services and they were kind of like, oh, you're too old now to be a runner. Um, so I found that a little bit now. awkward, um, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why it pushed me towards more the business side of film rather than going into production side of it. Um, but because of I had creative skills or whatever, I, I kind of used that when I first went freelancing and I was doing a lot of script reading for like Film London and things like that for different schemes that come through. Um, you earn a bit of money from it, but actually it feeds you in another way. Um, and um, uh, I think if, if I could do it again, I think I probably would have liked to have actually worked on more commercials. I think that, for me, I think looking at people who are doing commercials now who are jumping into the narrative side of film, I think, oh, you guys have got it locked down. That's quite interesting. Because uh, it's such a fast turnover in terms of commercials. You get paid fairly well. Mm. And still learning it, your craft. You know what I mean? And yeah. still learn your craft. And then you can go off and do you know, short films or features in between that. Um, but they look at me and they're like, oh, no, you have no idea. We wish you had done it your way. And you know, it's kind of grass is greener, most mm. likely. But they can afford grass, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to throw it open to, to you guys. So uh, there's two mics. We've got Lizzie and Alexa with a mic. We've got one right down the front. So if anyone else has got a question, please let yourself be known to either Lizzie or Alexa so we can get through the questions. 
Go ahead. So I guess in terms of the latter, what I'm curious about is for the next step, which is like, uh, Michael, you worked with the wonderful, talented Jodie Whittaker. You worked with unknowns. Uncle Abby, you seem, do you have a talent agency as well? Or talent management. A management yeah. agency. Yeah. So to get, for the second film, I was wondering how important it is to get, well, Jodie Whittaker again, to, to do anything, or a star involved rather than unknown this time. And if you pursue that, or you just leave it up to a casting agent? Um, uh, yeah, well, I think you're kind of experiencing that with your feature at the moment, aren't you? The sort of casting up thing. But I, I guess from my experience, uh, I remember seeing a really depressing graph that a, a public funder uh, uh, put up for the, it was the statistics for the number of films that people have, have made. And basically, making one film was up there, and then it was two, three, four, five, six, seven. Basically, very few people make a second film. And that's because, uh, you know, most are sort of burnt out or, or you know, they, for whatever reason, they don't get past the first <coughs> one. So I think if you have managed to make, a, like, a, a, a decent shot at a first feature, then, you know, you, that's, that's already a, a good success that, you know, you should be proud of. And, uh, and it, it's hopefully easier from there because uh, the, the biggest thing is, is the risk of are you actually going to be able to, to make this or not? And I think if you've already proven yourself on a prior project and you have a good script for the next project, the risk level for an investor or a sales agent is, is much, much lower. Uh, so I guess to answer your question, I mean, hopefully it makes it easier to access um, the level up of talent if that's what you want to do. I mean, it depends. Um, you know, sometimes you need to cast up for a certain type of project and for a certain budget level. Um, but yeah, hopefully it will make it easier to do that. Cool. Anything to add? No? Yeah? You, I, um, so for my side of it, like, well, the director is the person that access the talent. So when you've got first feature film, second feature film, it's that director who's going to attract that actor who's going to be in that movie. So again, having worked with Daniel on the short where we've got Jack O'Connell and Holiday Granger, um, and the short doing very well, there's a lot of big actors who are very interested in working with Daniel again for his first feature film. And if he does well again, then it'll be the next thing there. And uh, at the moment, the way the industry is, financing for feature films comes from who's in it um, predominantly. Um, and getting cast to a project at the moment is getting more and more difficult because of the way that television is right now, fantastic things coming out of TV. Yeah. Actors are spending six months, seven months out of the year doing television. They also want to spend time with their family, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of like, should they do that feature film or not? And it's kind of like that bargaining thing. And um, it's, again, the industry is changing. It's changing, but it's through the director is where the actors come from. I don't think they care about me so much. Uh, no matter how smiley or friendly I am, it's the, it's the director they need to trust with them on, you know, while they're performing, and that's what they're looking for. I think that's why I was curious you know. when I saw you did management as well. I thought, oh, it's very cleverly trying to find the next stars that you can... That, that was more, oh, how can I work with filmmakers who want to work with me, moving that forward, and even if they're going to work with another producer, they can still come back to me later. And that was that route, mm. really. Just, yeah. just to touch on... Um, uh, what you were saying there about uh, it being more and more to do with who's in it, you know, the, the talent being so important, which has always been important, but getting more and more important. I think there's often a vicious circle because if you're approaching, pop, you know, really popular actors, so, you know, uh, maybe not A-list, but, you know, serious people, they will often, because they're getting so many requests, want to know that your funding is 100% secured before they would potentially commit to it. So then it's just a complete vicious circle. Yeah, it's, a, it's the free thing. It's the finance that wants to know the actor's attack. Yeah. The actor wants to know the financing is in place and you yeah. can't get, you know... So uh, I, I think often the way to get around it is uh, letters of intent. You know, what one will commit if the other does type thing. Can I see who, who else has got questions? Does anyone else just want to get a sense of how many I need to get through in the last ten minutes? Just one, that should be achievable. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Hello, um, I've got a question for Helen. and I'm really inspired by hearing you because I'm a novelist and I'm making that big swerve right now. Um, which feels slightly terrifying, so I'm really inspired by what you've said. But you, although you haven't made it work this year, do you see yourself working across the two media, working in prose and then working on screen, or do you think it is a, is a permanent swerve? Um, <coughs> I think that um, I'm actually um, straddling two things at the moment because I'm adapting my novel for um, 
the screen, which is, which is perfect. And I know Quentin Tarantino, when he writes, he tends to write, although you know, he admits um, it's pretty terrible prose, but he tends to write short stories or, or little novellas before he writes his scripts. So he's got that breadth and, and kind of, uh, of depth and context to the characters and their world and all those kind of, kind of details. You know, I think having come from a novel to, to a script, you're never really in that same space that you are with a novel where the detail is just so, you know, in, in, integral to, to the story. Um, it's a different type of detail that a lot of the time you discover on the day when you're, into the, you know, when you're filming, um, as opposed to something that's actually embedded into, into the narrative. Um, but yeah, I do, I do miss that autonomy. Of, of novel writing, and I found, um, which you know, um, feeds into the question that you were asking, that having come from a, a real low-budget film, I had so much autonomy and so much freedom because there was just no way a sales agent would get involved at the start. You know, there's a completely unknown director who's done no shorts and hasn't been to film school. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, two, two, two female leads uh-uh, and unknown female leads. You know, and it's set in Birkenhead. Um, <laughs> So I had a, you know, I had a lot of a lot of freedom and a lot of leeway, but then you come away thinking, you know, hating the film because you didn't have this and you didn't have the editor you wanted, and um, or the time with the editor, I should say. Um, you, my DOP didn't have the lenses. Um, you know, a lot of the time we're finding locations on the day. So you say right now, you know, say to my agent after, I'm not doing anything under 1.2 million. That's it. And then the next question is, okay, so who are we going to attach to this? You know, and then. And the weird thing is, I think that when you come to that 1.2 million, that's not going to be enough. And when you come to the 12 million, that's not going to be enough because it just, you know, but it's film making is about compromise and it's working with talented people who can figure out, okay, look, this is what we want to do. We can't do that. Way, and then do it that way, and then we can get what we want from it. It's, uh... Okay, next question. Sorry, I wasn't. Hi, um, I just wanted to ask. In terms of film as a, as a whole, we all know that it's very small correlation of women making film, and even less those from a BME um, background. What would be your advice for people from uh, the BME background in terms of making that step? Because I've come from the world of TV and I'm trying to transition to film. Um, what do you think? Because I know a lot of talk has been going on about diversity. What can we actually do to make that next step so that we can make our first feature film? I think it's, um, it's interesting because of obviously the conversation of the past couple of years has started changing. And although people have talked about it for years, I think that the way people are actually actively doing something has started to move a little bit forward now. Um, as people are recognizing that stories from other voices are equally as interesting and equally as valid, um, those opportunities are coming through um, because of creativity is not exclusive, but opportunity is. And as the opportunities start coming through, um, that starts widening the doors for all the voices that aren't heard normally. Um, and I think if you can just start creating stories that are true to what you want to talk about, um, I think people will eventually start hearing it, because uh, there obviously is a hunger and a thirst for it. Um, uh, and if you want to move into film, and are you a director, or you're a writer, or you're a producer, you're a writer, I think you should look at making shorts. I know that everyone's doing them, more and more people are doing them, but it's kind of like it is the easiest thing for someone to see because of we're all quite lazy, we have no imagination. If we are, I've seen it now, it's real, then that really helps. So don't find a director or a producer that you want to work with and say, this is a story I want to make, um, and see whether or not people are interested in jumping in with you on that. That's what I'd probably advise. Just touching on the people going from film to TV thing, I, have, I had an email from someone a few days ago, and they were looking to employ someone on a TV show. Yeah. And he, he said in the email, we'd consider people, do you, you yeah, in on that? that uh, we'd consider people <laughs> stepping up from film. No, I mean, uh, I, I, I would say um, do what you're doing by coming to days like this and taking whatever opportunities you can. I mean, there was, there was a great, I don't know if it's going to run again this year, there was a great scheme that um, uh, BFI and Creative England were running uh, um, specifically oh, yeah, yeah. for BME filmmakers that ran at the Encounters Film Festival, I think for the last couple of years. So I think it's just sniffing out opportunities like that and grabbing them by the horns um, and uh, making stuff, just making stuff and proving yeah, yourself. I think so. I think 
you know, and the same advice that, you know, I've always given to um, aspiring novelists is don't do the three-chapter thing, you know, if, if at all possible, and especially as a writer, you know, if you can carve the time, even if it's carve out the time, even if it takes a year rather than three months, actually have the finished thing. It's much easier to take a finished thing out than, as you say, people are lazy, aren't yeah. they? They just can't see. They need to, you need to feed them, like, you know, it's uh, terrible. There's another question here. This guy in the white t-shirt, yeah. Anyone else got any others? Thank you. Probably get one more in. Um, I don't know if this is a bit of a how long's a piece of string sort of question, but when a director's making his first film, in order to kind of go from that one person up here making one film to making many, should that film be more commercially successful, like something that would earn money, or should it be more artistic that wins awards, or what should it be? Sort of thing. I just think it's yeah. I think I, I think it's just got to have integrity and it's got to be, it's got to be good, you know. And you know, it can be made I for. Mean, what's good for me might be different for exactly. somebody else. But I, I think if you start off with a set of pre, if you start to preempt the market, and I think it always backfires. I think you know, if it comes from there, it will, you know, it will get out and. And you'll be happy with what it is. You'll be happy. And the outcome and the criticism. You know, so it's kind of like that's what I intentionally made. Yeah. Know, that's what I wanted to make. And whether or not commercially it does really, really well, great for you. Or critically it does really, really well, then great for you as well. You know, that's people will be looking for a filmmaker who has made a name for themselves from whatever it is, whether or not it's commercially or critically. So it's kind of like, yeah. it depends on what you're doing. I mean, obviously the, the thing everyone wants is one that does both, yeah. uh, yeah. where it's uh, critically and commercially successful. You shouldn't make them you know, exclusive from one another. Well, I think that's a really honest question, and it's a question that all of us think, but we don't want to ask. Yeah, I mean, it, it uh, kind of connects to what you were saying, Helen, about, you, you know, you don't want to, uh, just because it's so stressful and hard, you don't want to make a, a, a film below a certain budget level, but there are certain consequences of that, perhaps, you know, a, a certain level of cast, and maybe a certain commercial sensibility, or, or maybe not, depending on who the funders are. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've, looking at... Um, uh, the commissioning guidelines for some of the broadcasters before, that most of them commission based upon uh, they think the show is going to get high ratings or they think the show is, is likely to, to you know, win awards and be critically acclaimed. So I think that shows there is, there is more than one way of being successful. Uh, and uh, it just depends on the kind of things you want to make. Um, I mean, it's probably an easier life going down the slightly more commercial route. Um, you know, there's more chances for success. There's more money in that circuit. But it really depends on, on you and the kind of filmmaker you want to be. I think we've got time for one more. Is that right? Yeah. Um, in terms of like, going back to the first rung on the ladder, um, for people who have got like, no major credits or anything as well, who's the best person to kind of like, or who's the best position to reach out to in terms of getting experience or that first credit or first position? I think what you did sounds really good in terms of working with credit. Yeah, well, what, what, what kind of credit or position are you thinking of? Um, probably mainly just, like, running or assistant work, so... Well, with, with that, again, it depends whether it's on set or in offices, uh, but I think it's just doing some, some careful research on the people most likely to employ you into that position. I mean, if it's on sets, then that's most likely to be the, th the third assistant director. Uh, they, they tend to employ the runners. Uh, or if it's in uh, an office, then it will be looking at the, the de development coordinators. Uh, or, you know, you could even try development executives. And it might be worth... Um, IMDb Pro is really, really good for that. I mean, you can get a free trial. It doesn't even have to take that long. You could just spend a couple of hours... You know how people can end up on these spirals on Wikipedia or YouTube, going from thing to thing to thing? Do that with films. You know, you open one, it's like, oh yeah, that's an interesting credit or an interesting film, and just go through lots of different stuff that you know is a UK production, um, and take down people's names. And on IMDb Pro, it often has their direct contact details, and if it doesn't, you know, Google, you might be able to find their social media profile. LinkedIn there's, there's, is really... Uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, there's another really good site called The Knowledge um, um, that, that a lot of people are on, and it will often have their mobile number or, or email. Um, and the other piece, the piece of advice I would give is don't go out to absolutely everyone with a generic message. I'd be more selective and tailor it uh, because successful people get so many approaches that it's, it will almost be like white noise. Uh, I remember I was a runner on Mamma Mia for a little bit, 
uh, and they said that those are the uh, CVs that have come in from potential runners, and it was it was oh an God. enormous pile of CVs. Um, so I, I think it, it's being selective and and tailored in your approaches to people. What, sorry, what do you want to do? You want to be a that's what you want to be a runner on set. That's it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we're nearly out of time, but just very quickly on that point, are there any other things that you can do to get noticed that you would that you've employed or that have worked or haven't worked for you? What are the things that you can do to help help stand out from that pile of CVs? I think it is, you know, a, piece of, a good piece of advice I had once. Um, I'd, I'd been a runner on a few things, and I was trying to work out how I was going to become a director still at that point. And I went through all my old call sheets, and I took down all of the producers of them, and I emailed them saying, hello, I was a producer on your thing. Can you give me some advice? And the uh, only one of these to come back was a guy called Michael Kuhn, who's a really, really top producer. I'd been a runner on The Duchess, which was a film of his, a Kieran Knightley film. Uh, and his advice was simply to make something stand out and yeah it's a very easy thing to say but i think it's it's working out what you can do that's a little bit different he was advocating you know because there's there's so many shorts that means there's a hell of a lot of great shorts there's fewer micro budget features so if there's a way for you to make a very low budget feature then it's an easier way to stand out or mm. it, I, I don't have a simple answer but it, it's it's working out how you can stand out based on your skill set and what's available to you is this right okay Okay. Um, yeah, I think, look, for me, like, for example, working for Sundance Film Festival, uh, being British and black and over there in America, people were very confused by that and found that interesting. <laughs> um, uh, so it's kind of like if you go to places where they don't... Not very open see, to everyone. You know, it's kind of like you're kind of different from the mold over there, and that kind of helps to get noticed by different people, and you build a network through that way. Um, I, I also think that... Again, because you want to be a runner on set, a slightly different, but like just generally in terms of you know doing internships at different production companies, being good at your job, um, <laughs> the first one, because of eventually they just, they just recommend you to other people. Yeah. They just really, really do, and you and you tell them, listen, this is what I really want to do next, and they, you do a good job for them. They will try and help you to find a way to get through what you can do, basically. And Helen, so, what are your um, I think for in, standing in, out in terms of um, directing? I think. Um, if you can at all possible, go to try and go down the, the short route. I think it's, you know, it's, it, I think what I did was, was, was really, really dangerous. And I think I was able to take that risk because I was already an established novelist. Um, but it paid off. And I think, you know, what Michael was saying about the low budget route, the micro budget. Um, and, you know, Tangerine, I don't know if any of you have seen, seen Tangerine, but that was, it's one of my favorite films okay. of the last, you know, mm. five years. That was made for what? 13. Shot on an iPhone, yeah. Shot on yeah. an iPhone. <laughs> you know, there are, <laughs> uh, there are. And, you know, social media as well. I've just. Um, I mean, is there a high tech um, I don't have social media. I've only just joined because I've been bullied. I've been bullied for years and I've joined Instagram. Join, tweet us. Join, <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, I've just signed up to not longer to go to Instagram because that seems really easy. And I see my little boy's Instagram and everyone likes. No one seems to dislike or say that you're really, just really easy. You just press, yeah, like. Um, but my future um, set photographer, I, I found on, you know, just come across on, on Instagram, you know, it's a 22-year-old kid from, from, from Hackney. And, yeah, and I think, you what know... What him or her stand out? Her, um, she liked one of my posts and posts and <laughs> flashed. There you go. And then, you Flattery. know, when I, so I was like, fucking hell, you know, that's, that's absolutely incredible. I want her. Yeah. Right. Um, and... You know, that's great. Like you were saying you keep a, a list of... Yeah, people I just want to work with. Whatever I watch a music video or anything like that or hear someone's music, I'm like, oh my goodness, that person. I just like a little, you know, add it in. Like, you know, all the people have been good, you know, just write it all down. All right. I'm afraid I have to wind it up now. So that's all we've got time for. But thank you very much to our panel. And thank you for coming.